from the creators of In Goal Magazine. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast, a presentation of The Hockey Shop, source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of this podcast that has become a must-subscribe for netminders, hockey parents, and those in the coaching community. I'm Darren Millard, and today we will spend some time with veteran goaltender Curtis McElhaney, who has a new two-year contract with the Tampa Bay Lightning, earned after not only surviving a wild season that featured leaving Toronto via waivers, but then riding that wonderful wave in Carolina that concluded in the Eastern Conference Final. Curtis talks gear setups from the past, touches on playing with Mika Kippersoff and Sergei Bobrovsky before offering a blunt opinion on how things ended in Toronto. It has nothing to do with the Maple Leafs and how they handled it. It was just his assessment on moving on. Plus, our In Goal radio gear segment focuses on the mask today, in particular, the Bauer line. Kevin Woodley is busy today as he controls both the interview and the trip to the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com. Hello, Woody. How are you? I'm very good. It's been a busy couple of days in the goaltending world for late July, creeping up on August. Uh, we have a new deal for Andre Vasilevsky, uh, a trade by the Tampa Bay Lightning as McElhaney has company in the crease within the organization. And also Garrett Sparks moves on, the man that replaced McElhaney uh, in Toronto. So everything is sort of one degree of separation from our feature interview today. Yeah, and uh, one degree of separation from last week's feature interview as well. Of course, James Reimer essentially taking the spot of Curtis McElhenney, the one he vacated when he left Carolina. So, uh, you know, uh, our good friend Mike McKenna, I believe he calls his podcast Six Degrees of Mike McKenna. We've got one degree of Curtis McElhenney over the past couple of weeks. Well, Condon and McElhenney are slated to play behind Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, your take on paying $9 million plus uh, for a starting goaltender, it's it's a lot to put into a number one guy. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. The first thing I did was looked at the list of, uh, you know, who's above him, and it's a pretty short list by the time this contract kicks in, and it won't kick in until not this season but the next season. So Tampa Bay has another year of Vasilevsky on a bargain, I think $3.75 million cap hit before the big number uh, kicks in for 2020-21. Carey Price and Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, $10.5 and $10 million respectively, are the only higher uh, average annual values in the NHL for a goaltender. And I guess the positive for Vasilevsky, not only from a physical standpoint, is he arguably the most talented goalie in the NHL, uh, at least in terms of like raw athletic potential still and explosiveness and those types of elements, But he's younger. He's 25, right? So six years younger than Carey, five years younger than Bob. If you're going to invest in a guy long term uh, and at that price, that ticket, I'd rather do it for a guy who's 25 than a guy who's in his 30s. Um, I guess the bigger picture, and and listen, Vasilevsky, I think we said we had him on the podcast earlier this year for little snippets here and there of an interview I did with him. And I said at the time, I thought he, he might be the most talented goalie in the NHL. So there's lots to like. Uh, about him and as the cap goes up presumably in two three four years this nine and a half may look like a, like an average deal and he may look like a bargain but for now I, I think it's fair to ask the question and you know I have some real prominent goalie coaches that I talk to on a regular basis and a few of them have said hey off the record uh, don't want to get kicked out of the goalie union but if you give me a choice four great centers for for strength up the middle or four great top four defensemen or a stud superstar number one goaltender, 
You give me a dose of the honesty serum and I'm going to say I'm going to take a top four in defense because I can build you a goaltender behind it. So, you know, I know analytics point in similar directions that you don't want to put all, if you're, if you're going to put a lot of eggs in one basket, it's probably not best to do it in goal. We'll see how this pans out. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist is the next guy on that salary cap list at eight and a half million dollars. And, you know, along with Price and maybe Bob and, and Vasilevsky, those are the only guys in the league that to me can sort of outperform their environment or have consistently over the years and lifted up average teams to to good performances. Um, I still think Lundqvist might have some of that in him, to be honest with you, now that the Rangers are competitive again. But we saw what that guy meant to that team, and I kind of view Vasilevsky similarly. Tampa's a dynamic offensive team, but man, they give up a ton of chances. When Clearsight Analytics and, and Steve Valiquette gave us a look at the numbers this year, the top five guys in the NHL in terms of goals saved above average when you factored in shot quality, uh, screens, cross-ice passes, you know, true shot quality measurements, um, it was Vasilevsky and Price 1-2. So it's not like being on a great team. Yeah, as Curtis McElhenney says, you've got a margin for error because you know they can score. But it does. You're also going to see a lot more grade A chances, and Vasilevsky was a big part of that team's success last year. Well, it follows the trend of, of players getting big money coming out of uh, entry level contracts that we're seeing uh, around the league. He's not coming off an entry level contract, but uh, he's the first of the younger goaltenders to get massive money. There's not many netminders, not many players, uh, for that matter, that I would want to go and just watch at practice. But Vasilevsky is one of those guys. You were there. You watched him go through a shootout drill this year, and it was fascinating to watch. And I, I believe he is, and some people will go, come on, But uh, when I say this, but I think he's poised to go on one of these runs where like Dominic Hasek uh, or Patrick or Marty went on, where you just are by far and away the best goaltender in the world for a three- or four-year stretch where you just own the position. Vasilevsky's that much talent. He, he has the physical tools to do that, absolutely, Darren. I, And it's not like his technical game is bad by any stretch of the imagination. There is a... There's a little bit of looseness. Like if I, if I were to put him and Bob and Kerry and these guys who are at the top of that list uh, and compare them and their games, um, his is looser than the other two. His is more reliant on that athleticism, but it is undeniably upper tier best in the league. I mean, his power and his ability to access power right through the end range of movement and the end range of muscle extension is off the charts. And I, like you said, I did get to see that in practice. His nickname is Big Cat, um, and that's kind of how he has the ability to play. I do think that his foundation probably needs to steady a little bit to avoid the types of things we saw in the playoffs, uh, whether it's emotionally and mentally trying to do too much behind a team that got off to a rough start against Columbus in the first round, or just sort of knowing what you are as a goaltender and not ever trying to do too much beyond that. Like there are times where I still feel like as incredible as he is athletically he puts himself in situations where he, he relies on it a little bit too much. Uh, I'd love to see his tracking improve a little bit uh, in terms of there's a lot of sort of counter rotation in his game. Legs are moving one way, upper body's moving the other. Um, and I just think there there is another level of efficiency for him that could make what you're saying an absolute like guarantee. Um, outside of achieving that, 
I think he's always going to be reliant a little bit on that athleticism. And it is, it is good enough to get him through and still be one of the best in the league. But I think, I think that step you're talking about would require a little more efficiency than we see out of him right now. Well, I tell you what, the Battle of Florida is going to be fun between uh, Sergey Bobrovsky and Andre Vasilevsky for the next couple of years. Uh, Mike Condon dealt to Tampa Bay for Ryan Callahan. We know why from a Tampa Bay standpoint to get rid of the Callahan salary, but what does Condon do? Uh, you know, I what I loved, um, as you said, it, the GM in Tampa Bay, uh, Brisebois, they did a video with him and put it on Twitter, basically outlined the entire thing, what it does for Tampa in terms of salary cap relief, getting rid of Callahan's contract and why they didn't want to be using LTI uh, with Callahan not playing ever again. They'd rather have Mike and have him in the minors and have some actual real salary cap flexibility. And he outlined it. He said, Mike's going to go is a guy who's been in the NHL, who's who's proven that he can be an NHL goalie, but's run into injury issues. He had the hip surgery uh, earlier this calendar year while he was with the Senators. Uh, he is in the process of rehabbing back from that. Uh, Mike had both hips operated on 2011, so this is the second time they've had to go in. Um, I had the pleasure of being uh, with Mike up in Cologne and seeing some of the training he's doing with Adam Francilia off the ice, a guy that we've worked with through the Net360 camps. Uh, It's a long road back for him, but he has the work ethic, the discipline, and now access to somebody who's helping him through that road. And as Brisebois said, they're going to give him a chance to rediscover his game and reestablish himself in the final year of this contract in the American Hockey League um, as their sort of number three, four guy with Scott Wedgwood, assuming they can move Louis Domingue, who's, an, who's another extra body there, and find him a place where he gets a chance to play more. They're going to give Mike a chance to reestablish his game. Uh, they like his work ethic. They like all the qualities of Mike as a person, which it's hard not to once you get to know him, frankly. And... You know, it's a long road back physically. I would not bet against Mike Condon. And if he can get back to where he was before, uh, and maybe, you know, again, we talk about efficiency. There's there's some new tricks for an old dog uh, up in Kelowna that he's learning a little bit. Uh, maybe an opportunity for Mike Condon to actually become an asset that has value for them uh, towards the trade deadline and towards the end of the year in Tampa Bay. If not a guy, you know, never know with injuries that they might end up needing themselves. So, um, admittedly biased, uh, have enjoyed every conversation I've had with Mike, learned a lot, and just love his passion for the position and the game. He's a gear geek like McElhenney and a guy who you want to see do well. So, uh, you know, part of me is just maybe hoping that that happens for him. You know, there's a part in your conversation with Curtis McElhaney that uh, we'll bring everybody in just a couple of minutes where he relays that... It, he found his footing with the Columbus Blue Jackets, but went to Columbus because Arizona had to just get rid of a contract. And it, he was injured at the time or coming off a bad injury. And that just fate of, of Arizona needing to dump a contract and landing in the right spot turned around his career and has allowed him to blossom both in Columbus, then Toronto, and now uh, with the opportunity coming off uh, Carolina going into to Tampa Bay. And I wonder if, if the similar type situation could play out with Vegas and Garrett Sparks because he is cast off from Toronto, sent to Vegas because Vegas has to get rid of some money, and now Dave Pryor has another con- uh, another project on his hands. Yeah, I know. It's funny. As you were walking through um, McElhenney's situation, I was actually thinking Mike Conner, and I was thinking a great segue because 
that's exactly what with the injury and everything and a chance dumping a contract. That's what Condon's going to go through in Tampa Bay. But for Sparks too, just a chance to a fresh start, another voice, uh, another opportunity to sort of continue to take another step. Um, he had a great year two years ago in the American Hockey League. Uh, wins a championship, a Calder Cup championship down there. Moves up into the backup job in Toronto. And this is, you know, we talked about this with Curtis too. That's a tough gig. Freddie Anderson plays yeah. a ton. Um, to me, McElhenney's 934 save percentage two years ago when he only started once every 12 days is one of the most overlooked, remarkable accomplishments. Uh, and again, something we talk about it in the interview. That is tough to do. And that is even tougher to do if you're a young goaltender trying to establish yourself like Garrett Sparks was. Now, he played a little more than McElhenney, but, you know, not a ton, and that's been an issue for Toronto. Mike Babcock likes to ride Frederick Anderson, uh, has at times, you know, even as good as McElhenney was, he didn't play that much, you know, and and so they've got to find a guy that that Michael play enough that they can get Freddie fresh to the playoffs and, and on top of his game, uh, rather than worn out. Because even though they kept the number overall last year at 60, to me, when you look at his season and when he was injured, uh, and I know they gave him games off down the stretch, but to me, Freddie Anderson still played at a higher workload down the stretch than you'd ideally want. Two areas here. One, uh, let's deal with Sparks and Vegas pushing Malcolm Subban. I guess he's brought in for competition there. And we know uh, with the history of Subban that, that Dave Pryor wanted him, right? Yeah, no, and that's that's a good point, really good point. Um, what I love about Vegas is that when they go out and get a goaltender, it's usually a guy, it's always a guy that Dave Pryor wants. He sees something, usually to do with patience. Uh, we've run the clips before here at In Goal. Uh, you can you can check out the interview we did with Dave Pryor a couple of years ago about what he likes in goaltenders, what it is that sets them apart, and the guys he picks like Flurry, like Subban. Um, the ability to sort of not back off in the face of a shooter, that type of patience on your skates and the willingness not to give up the ice and challenge. And that's how they allow their goaltenders to play in Vegas. Just focused on the guy in front of you, not worrying about retreating and back doors and cross ice. That's somebody else's job. And so obviously Dave Pryor sees some of that in Garrett Sparks because Vegas is yet to make a move that's not tied directly to Dave liking those assets. Garrett will get a chance to show them off with Vegas. Um, like you said, he'll be in a fight with, with Subban for the backup job. Um, but Vegas also needed some depth uh, behind Marc-Andre Fleury as well. They've lost lost some guys in the offseason uh, that signed elsewhere as free agents sort of further down uh, their pecking order and their depth chart. And so, um, yeah, if you're Garrett Sparks, you, you look at a guy who's had a lot of success as a goalie coach over the years at identifying talent. And I think you sh- you should be proud that the qualities that Pryor wants in his goaltenders he saw in you. Michael Neuvert joins the Toronto Maple Leaf organization on a PTO. Interesting that the that little dynamic. Yeah, and I've seen some interviews with Neuvert obviously he you know he really talked about um wanting to be a Toronto Maple Leaf interestingly enough again Curtis McElhinney talks about how hard it was to leave that original 6 franchise and what it meant for him to play. Uh, for that, and it sounds like Newworth sort of views the Maple Leafs in a similar stead, uh, and that's part of why he's going there in a PTO. We don't see a lot of PTOs for goaltenders, um, but you know, for a guy like Newworth, he's a proven NHL goaltender. He's just not proven that he can stay healthy in recent years, and so this is an opportunity for him, um, you know, to earn a spot 
if he were to come in and earn a spot at a reasonable ticket and he could stay healthy, he's a value guy. Um, he's been a good goaltender in the NHL. I know last year wasn't a great year, but he has in the past. And so that could end up being a really good thing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, and for Newberth, you know, after the injuries and not being able to be counted upon to stay healthy for the past couple of seasons, um, you know, a chance to stay in the league. Cause I think he probably would have been forced either into an AHL prove it deal, uh, or, or maybe even overseas just because he's a good goalie, but teams need to be able to count on you. And they haven't been able to count on Michael Newberth to be healthy in the past couple of seasons. Thought it was interesting. He was blunt in admitting that he was offered some American Hockey League starting jobs, but wanted to be an NHL backup. Feels that uh, that's where his game would rather be. Sometimes guys want to play more and prove themselves. Uh, he's uh, he's thinking that he can just step in and be a backup to uh, to Freddie Anderson and knows exactly what the role is there. Uh, I'm going to toss some names at you: Mike Smith, Henrik Lundqvist, Ryan Miller, and Pekka Rene. They're all older than the 36 years of Curtis McElhaney, and all four have spent time as an undisputed number one goaltender in the National Hockey League. McElhaney has never had the net all to himself at the NHL level. In fact, only now is he even topping a million dollars for a season. Yet here he is, still stopping NHL pucks on the backside of his 30s. In a league dictated by those on entry-level contracts, McElhaney is defying the odds. He took time out of preparations to partner with Andre Vasilevsky and the Powerhouse Lightning to speak with In Goal Radio, the podcast, and Kevin Woodley. So here's Curtis McElhaney on In Goal Radio, presented by thehockeyshop.com. So Curtis, normally we start with guys and we ask them about where it started for them, what what you know what sparked the passion for the position. But before we get there for you, because I wanted to ask you a little bit just because you're changing teams. Um, signed to Tampa Bay this year. I just wanted to ask you because I haven't had a chance to talk to you and I haven't seen a, you know, a lot of quotes about it. What was that decision like? What was the process like? What did you like about the fit uh, going to Tampa Bay for the next two seasons? Uh, you know, it's just kind of a no-brainer. I, I, they definitely weren't on the radar when um, you know the free agent window opened there and we started talking to teams and um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me at, at my age now, you're always looking for a couple years if you can get it. And, you know, the offer was there with Tampa. And then what the number one thing was, you just looked at a team that was, was primed to win that had high expectations. And, you know, I think it's always fun as you are getting to the end of your career to be a part of those organizations that are kind of in a position to win. Yeah. Is that, does, I mean, did that, was that what made it a no-brainer? I mean, just looking at that team and seeing where they are and the chance to to do what everybody dreams of as a kid and, and win a Stanley Cup clearly is in front of them. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's that's really what we all play for, I guess, at the end of the day is is an opportunity to be on winning teams and, you know, to be in a position to poss- have the possibility to win a Stanley Cup. So, um, you know, it's exciting. I mean, and then again, you look at it and who doesn't want to live in Florida in the wintertime? <laughs> I think it's, it's nice on the body. And, you know, as you get older, it's, uh, the warm weather certainly does you some good. And this is going to have you playing right through to 38. Do you, where, like, what do you think about career timelines? Like, how do you feel physically a lot? This is a time when a lot of goalies, um, you know, they, a lot of people look at aging charts and stuff and they say, Oh, goalies peak or at, at this age. And yet, 
you know, I look at your track record and, you know, 934 last year, really good or two years ago with, with Toronto, 912 last year, really good season with Carolina. Um, it, you know, still continuing to perform at a high level. How do, what allows you to do that into your mid and now into, you know, later 30s? Uh, I'd like to think I'm a little bit smarter now than I was when I was in my 20s. So maybe I've learned a few things over the years um, in terms of my preparation towards stuff. I, I treat my body a little bit differently now. There's there's some uh, workout routines that I've, I've kind of come into in the last few years here that have really allowed me to work on some hip mobility and my knee flexibility and my ankle mobility and you know, all those things have kind of compiled into allowing me to do some things on the ice that I don't think I was really capable of doing when I was in my twenties. So, and then it's just, you know, preparation and experience and, and those things sometimes take time to acquire. And you know, I've been fortunate enough that I've been around long enough that I've got a pretty good database now of information and it's, it's starting to pay dividends. Okay. So we obviously you're talking to goalies. Um, I don't know that anyone would care to listen to our podcast if they weren't a goalie. What, so when you say things like 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 ankle mobility, and especially when you talk about knee and 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 flexibility through that joint, uh, we all focus on the hips. But it, is there anyone you can tell us about that you've that you've met that's helped introduce you to these new things? And what makes them unique from what you were doing earlier in in your career? Is it is it weights? Is it body movement? Is there any anything more you can share or any names you can plug for us? Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I stay away from weights now. Okay. I'm kind of, if I do have stuff, it's, um, more based along end range strength. So I'll be kind of in some unusual positions trying to lift weights off the ground versus, you know, doing squats and bench. That's, that's no longer a part of the routine. So, um, I will give a plug to, there's actually an online presence that I found uh, a guy out of Germany. Oh wow! Former soccer player, I believe. Uh, it goes by Body Flex. I think is the the type of it or his name. And you know, I started talking to him and just kind of picking his brain about some stuff. He sent over a program, and and I tried it three years ago as my off season program, and it just worked wonders. You know, I I'd, I'd never felt like that on the ice. And I think the biggest thing for goalies, it's it's not so much about me trying to get into the splits nowadays it's more if i get stuck in a compromising situation where someone falls on me and you know i'm not expecting it that i can kind of come out of it unscathed and that's that was the biggest thing that i was looking for because i got stuck in a couple situations where i ended up getting hurt when i was playing in columbus and you know i just didn't want to be there anymore and i was looking to extend the career so this was kind of the path that i took it's uh, a little unorthodox and but I think when you've you've been around for a little while, you like to try new things, and this is the one thing that seemed to really hit it off for me. Well, I got to ask: Does does he did he train other goaltenders? Did he know much about the position directly, or was it just stuff he was doing that happened to you know translate very well? No, I think you know, I, like I said, he came from a soccer background, so I don't know if there was too much goalie work, maybe with some soccer goalies, but. You know, obviously we have a very unique position and, you know, I, th- I think there is a trend that, you know, a lot of times people want to coach the goalie specific training. And I don't know if that's necessarily the, the best way to go about it. So I think there are um, some programs that are out there and some stuff that people know quite a bit about. And 
you know, this was one of those things that just really seemed to click for me and it, it translated really well once I stepped back on the ice. Well, I expect the Google searches for Body Flex Germany training to go through the roof in the next week after we launch this, <laughs> Curtis. We'll have a whole bunch of goalies calling them. Um, Listen, let's, let's go back a little bit. Like I said, we normally kind of start where it all started for you. I wanted to talk to you just a little bit, you know, about the switch and, and making the move um, to Tampa Bay first. But what ignited the passion? Where did goaltending start for you? Do you remember what it was that, that, that sparked it for you? What age you were when you first kind of decided you wanted to be a goaltender or did it happen gradually? The actual age, I'm not entirely certain of. I think maybe it's got to be around eight, nine, but I'm old enough that when you started playing goalie, they still had just the all brown gear. Maybe you were getting some brown and a little bit of black in there with some Cooper gear. And nice. then all of a sudden there was this pair of pads in the association there, fluorescent orange. And I just gravitated towards them and it was, you know, no one else had anything like it. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. So it's definitely a gear thing and it still is to this day. Okay. So you are a gear geek, um, which, which unites you with most of our audience and, and including well, if, if, if Millard had been able to be on the call, he would have told you that me and Hutch are like the pure gear geeks and he's sort of mild. He thinks we're a little crazy, frankly. Um, did that like continue for you? Like, do you remember, like you said, that set of pads sparked it for you. Do you remember like first custom set Were there milestones along the way where you got to stick with your name on it or gear with your name that, that sort of signified different stages for you of, Hey, I've made it, or, Hey, this is something I might do long-term. Did gear play a role in any of those milestones? Uh, yeah, gear was in there. I mean, it was just the ability to have all that color. And, you know, I grew up, I think first pair of pads that my dad ever bought me were just black and white. They were Vic McMartins, if I recall. Nice. But then I think the next set was like Heaton's and, and those things were something else. I believe the blocker is actually still in my parents' garage right now for road hockey, which is pretty cool. So, um, but yeah, it was just the ability to kind of customize color. I don't think I actually got to pick my colors until I got to about high school. And then I was wearing some Vaughn gear back then. Okay. And so you grew up in, or you were born in London, Ontario. Is that where you played your minor hockey too? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up playing there until I was about 12 years old. And then we moved out West to Calgary, Alberta. Right. And I, I played some, uh, just house league hockey out there until I, I skipped over to Notre Dame and Saskatchewan for three years of high school. Okay. And from there, you're on to Colorado College in the WCHA, obviously NCAA hockey, uh, drafted by the Flames, sixth round, number 176 overall in 2002. Um, at what point, because you're right, this is, you know, you, I started covering the position kind of around this time when you would have been starting, um, you know, in the NCAA and to me, that's right in the window where the game started to get modernized technically, where we saw more goalie coaches. That's when I met Ian Clark. Um, what was your history growing up with goalie coaches? Like, did you have guys before Colorado College or, you know, when did you sort of get your first guy and when did you add those technical aspects or was it all feel to that point? Yeah, it was, it was mostly feel. I had my first official goalie coach when I got to college. But up until that point, it was mostly just the, you know, the summer goalie schools that were offered, whether it was, you know, a former NHLer or somebody, a local person who was just kind of knew a little bit about the position. So there wasn't a lot of technique. Um, I know it was comical when I first got to my first training camp with Calgary. I know Dave Marcoux was the goalie coach at the time. And 
and I was still strapping my pads about as tight as they could go. And there was absolutely <laughs> no rotation on the pad whatsoever. So he was trying to enlighten me and all about pad rotation and how you could really benefit from it. So yeah, it, it's been a learning curve, but, um, you know, the first goalie coach I had, like I said, was in college. His name was Terry Kleisinger, uh, former goalie played at Wisconsin, played a little bit in the NHL there. And, you know, it, it was nice. It was nice to have someone that you could talk to more than anything, I think was the biggest benefit from having somebody like that around. Yeah, no, I mean, back then goalie coaches, you know, right up to the NHL, uh, for the most part, were just sort of been there, done that guys who helped by shared experience. And it wasn't, you know, I guess it happened in some teams with obviously we know about a lair and, you know, as, as far back as, as the mid late eighties, but it didn't become common to me. I think technically until sort of late nineties, early two thousands that we started to see most of it. What do you think now when you, when you've, and you've worked with a bunch of different goalie coaches over the years, if you, if your kids were decided they wanted to be a goaltender and I didn't ask if, if I, any of them play yet, but what, what would, where would you lean? Would you, would you want them to just go out there and learn on their own or would you send them to a goalie school as early as you started playing the position at eight? Like what do you see around you and what do you think, what advice would you give to young kids today? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys with a lot of knowledge and, you know, I'm obviously a, a big goalie school advocate and have a lot of friends who kind of work in the business still. So, um, but, you know, I think there's something to be said for that kid who just kind of goes out there, straps the pads on, gets some basic instruction, and it, it just becomes like a natural thing. You know, it's, it's sometimes it doesn't look pretty, but, you know, that's the bottom line is it's just about results. And I think uh, those kids that kind of have that natural instinct and have that ability to just read the hockey play versus, you know, being so technical. I think sometimes uh, they have more of an advantage over that kid who's been stuck in goalie schools his whole life growing up. So, you know, it's, it's a tough question. I think you do need to have a little bit of technical background, but, um, you know, there's definitely something to be said for that, that individual who can go out there and have success just being able to read plays. Okay, so you, you get to Calgary and or you're in their system. You're going to camps. David Marcuse there. Now, you didn't play your you get your first games to the with the Flames till 0708. But I'm just trying to in my head. I'm I'm trying to do mental gymnastics while I'm talking to you here. Was was Kipper there still, or was I'm trying to think? Kim, yeah. Kipper was there just before the lockout, so he would have been in his prime. Because you're telling me that you had your pads done up tight. I think Kipper might have had the tightest pads I've ever seen in the NHL. Those th- like his feet, yeah. his feet did not come to the ice when he dropped to his knees. No, no. <laughs> yeah. He had the double bootstraps going for the first little while. And, I, and all those guys did. I mean, it was, you know, that was kind of the age where everybody was kind of starting to change their gear. And, you know, I think Kipper was a guy who pretty much wore the same set of equipment for the entire season. So, um, you know, you could order the big pads and by the end of the season, they would be nice and shrunk down to the point where I think he ended up loving them. So, yeah, it, it was uh, it was an interesting time to break into the league and kind of see some of the developments in the gear and and how things have changed over the you know ten to fifteen years that I've been able to stick around. Well, how 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 has it changed for you? Like, walk us through some of your setups now comparatively. Obviously, you know you're not strapped up so tight that the skate can't get to the ice in the butterfly. What are some of the other adjustments you've made over the year? And what are some of the you know I've seen you know our, our good friend goalie gear nerd has had some you know, showed off some of your, uh, unique sort of setup stuff on his, uh, Instagram account. 
uh, over the past year or so? What are some of the things, some of the tricks you've, you've picked up? Uh, biggest thing I used to tuck chest protector in, tie it down, just wrench it in, put the suspenders over, make it as tight as possible. And, you know, that, that switched when I was in Columbus, I think Bob, he was the same way he tucked everything in. And then all of a sudden he comes to camp one year and he's telling me all about, you know, untucking your chest protector and how great it is for rotations and rebound control. So I jumped on board. That was a big one for me. You know, I, I'd grown up kind of with the tucked in chest protector and, I think there's still quite a few guys that do it. Maybe, maybe not to that extent where it's, it's tied as tight as possible, but um, that was a big one. And then obviously I think pads, you know, pads, the way they've changed now. I mean, I think I've got a toe strap. I've got, you know, this unique bootstrap that kind of goes through the lacing of the CCM pad. And then there's really just two straps after that, that serve their purpose. But yeah, it's, it's, I can't believe how little there is on the pads these days and how light they've gotten. It's, it's impressive for how stiff they actually are too. Well, and, so and I would say, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no, just the pads and the chest protector. Those are my two biggest change. I was going to say after the, after the changes to the chest protector, I don't think anybody wants it strapped down as tight as it used or as maybe you used to wear it. Like there, you need a little bit of an air bubble there these days. Yeah. Yeah. And, and each brand is a little unique, you know, and I, I've worn most of them over the years. ZCM is kind of the, the way I lean these days, but, um, you know, the Vaughn one's incredibly light and the Bauer one looked a little skimpy when it came out. I don't know if they changed it there. I just remember seeing Garrett Sparks is in camp and I know that I wouldn't have been standing in that if I was forced to wear that, but you know, to each their own. And that's, that's the, the joy of goaltending is that you, you have a choice in a lot of the equipment that you can wear. Do you still like, do you still compare notes with guys? Like, will you check out Vasilevsky's setup and see if there's anything you can take away from it? Do you guys talk about this in the locker room? Like, is, is it as much a piece of conversation, especially when you first meet a guy, maybe early in a training camp on a new team? Um, or is it something that we just think might get talked about from the outside? Um, yeah, I'll ask him. I mean, when, you know, it's always, it's always fun when you get into a new locker room and you kind of see what, each guy wears underneath, you know, obviously the obvious stuff besides pads, gloves, and helmets, you know, you get to see how they like to, you know, one, either tie their skates, do they do something unique there? Do they, you know, how do they wear their chest protector? So, you know, it, I guess that's, that's the one thing about being a goalie is you, you kind of geek out about it a little bit and you like to see how everyone else does it. And maybe they have something that can help you out along the way. So, you know, that's the, that's the fun part about it being a goalie all these years. I was going to say the other part is that there's, there's never just whether it's how you play the position or how you wear your, like there's never an absolute eh? like, that's what I love about it. Every conversation is different because every goalie is different in some unique way. There's not necessarily just one way to play this position. I, it's one of my favorite things about it. I think after all these years. Yeah. And then the other thing I'll say is skate blades. Oh yeah. That's huge. I mean, I think a lot of guys, I know, uh, there's that Swiss cowling. I wore that for a few years. I have got the four millimeter toe and three millimeter blade on the way back. And then you have, you know, some guys like the four millimeter blade. Some people like the three millimeter and then how they sharpen it. I know Bob and Freddie were doing kind of offset edges for a little while. I don't know if that's still their thing, but you know, it's something that I was curious about. I tried it out and I just about killed myself in practice trying to stand on those edges. But you know, for, 
you watch them move and you just think, Hey, maybe I'll be able to move like that if I do the same thing. And, you know, that's not the case. So it's, it's interesting, you know, when you, you talk to guys and you get to know how they play the position and, and what they're capable of. And, you know, like you said, every guy is so unique in the way that they go about it. Yeah. And that's, so that'd be offset. That's like an inside edge high, right? That type of sharpening. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I think I tried that once and almost killed myself too. Although I think if I were to look at Bob and say, maybe it'll help me. Move, I look at Bob and say, like, if I tried to move like him, I would just tear a groin all the time. It would be, it, it would be constant. There's a lot of jealousy yeah. when I watch him move. Uh, so, yeah. so, so Calgary to Anaheim, a couple years with the Ducks and then the Senators and Coyotes. That's a lot of different goalie coach voices uh, in a short period of time for you, Curtis. How tough was that as you're bouncing around a little bit and all of a sudden you've got different guys, you know, all wanting to help you, but maybe with different ideas in your ear in a short period of time. How did you learn to to sort of know what your foundation was amidst all that noise? Well, I, I think that was the challenging part for myself personally. And, you know, I, I'll be the first to admit it. I think I'm, I'm pretty thick in the head and sometimes I'm a slow learner and, you know, trying to define who I was as a goalie when I first broke into the league was, was challenging. You, you had everybody trying to offer advice and, you know, when you're a young guy and you're a backup, in the position that I was in, you, you want to make sure you do everything right. So sometimes you're, you're almost trying too hard and, you know, and your personal game will have a tendency to get away from you when you do things like that. So I, I really struggled with that for the first, you know, couple of years that I was coming into the league and things didn't really start to click until, you know, I, I went, I got sent back to the American league. I played a couple seasons there and then I was given an opportunity to come back to the NHL in Columbus and, and that's kind of where, you know, I, I just started to listen to myself. I, I, like you said, I had a, a lot of goalie coaches. I had a, a pretty special one in Ian Clark. was able to add a few things to my game and was just kind of, um, you know, he was, he was definitely a, an interesting personality to work with, someone who I enjoyed working with, but was also very intense and, you know, had high expectations of where my game needed to get to in order for me to have success. So, you know, he was probably uh, one of the most pivotal guys in terms of helping me get to the point that I'm at right now. My game's changed probably more than anything. You know, that's not taken away from any of the other goalie coaches that I worked with over the years. It's just at that time, I, I don't think I was prepared to, you know, make the changes that I needed to make. So, you know, it, it's it's been a long winding curve, but uh, it's been a fun ride. I think I just wasn't ready when I was in my 20s to be in the position that I'm in now. You know, and I know what my game is. I'm very comfortable with that. I'll have a new goalie coach coming up this season. You know, actually someone who I worked with for one day about nine years ago. Really? But, um, yeah. Yeah. I passed through Tampa there on my way to Ottawa. So, you know, I, I'm looking forward to that. I'm, you know, and it's, it's all about that relationship. I'm just a much more mature person now that, you know, if I feel like something isn't working for me, then, you know, I can go to a coach and I can tell them that, Hey, I don't, I don't think this is the best plan of action for me at this point. And, you know, it's, it's something where there's an open line of communication. So, but, you know, in my twenties, that, that wasn't the case. I, I was just trying to absorb everything that everybody threw at me and then try and put it on the ice. And, you know, it, it wasn't pretty, it definitely was not pretty my first few years in the league. So it was tough. I'm just, you know, I'm at that point now where I'm fortunate that I, I was able to stick out all those years and, here we are now where the game's a little bit different and I'm a much more comfortable 
in how I play the game. Well, I was going to say four years with him, Clark. I mean, if, if you're not willing to make changes, you're probably not surviving four years with him. Cause like you said, um, knows the position, but is very demanding of the guys who are working with him to try and get better at it for sure. Yeah. I was sure. I was just going to say, but in between there, like, so you were with Columbus and Clarkie from 2013, right through the end of 2016, 17, but you, you had to overcome a devastating injury before that. Did you not? Like I, I, I read a quote, I think you said you shredded, pretty much shredded your groin, and the doctor said they only saw those kinds of injuries. If I'm not mistaken, it was bull riders and motorcycle racers. Like, like how big, like how tough was that, and how big of a road back was that? And that was before you ended up going to Columbus, right? Yeah, I was. Um, I was playing with with Arizona at the time. I was down in the minor leagues playing in Portland. Portland, Maine, yep. Their farm farm team, and I was playing a game in. Gosh, I don't remember where it was, but I know I, I it was a face-off play. It went D to D, and I stretched out, and it just felt like this giant pop. And what ended up was I tore off both lower abdominals and fractured my pelvis. So it was a pretty uh, pretty gruesome injury. It took about nine months to recover from, and you know at that point, I my contract was flipped over to uh, Columbus, and just uh, they needed to unload a contract to get under that fifty limit. So it was um, a blessing, you know, when you look back on it. But certainly at the time, it was it was one of those things. When I went into surgery, they weren't sure if I was ever going to be able to play hockey again. So, you know, something I'm fortunate to to still kind of be kicking around. And I, you know, like we alluded to a little bit earlier, sometimes it's when you don't care as much about the results, you'll you'll end up having a little bit more success. And that's kind of what happened after that injury. It was. You know, just the ability to be able to play hockey still and be competitive was kind of icing on the cake. And, you know, there wasn't as much pressure coming out on a daily basis because everything after that injury was just gravy. So, you know, very, very fortunate and very, very lucky. And, you know, it's, it's been a few injuries after that, but nothing to that extent. I was going to say, I mean, say everything is gravy after that injury, but you're six more years in the NHL and two more yet to come. So obviously credit to you for working back from it. Um, if, if that, if the work with Clarkie sort of provided, helped you find a foundation for your game technically, um, overcoming something adversity like that, I mean, fracture pelvis, Curtis, that's, that seems like it should be impossible outside of a collision, to be honest with you, to hear that is, is a little bit shocking. Does that, that like, did that help was like you said, a mental hurdle, like did that help sort of get over how much of your development is between the years over the past, you know, throughout your NHL career, we always talk about the game being so much mental. How much of it is that side versus just, you know, the technical in between the pipes? I would say most of it is the mental side of it. And, you know, I, like I told you early on in my career, I, I, I tried to stop every puck in practice and I, I wanted to be the best at everything. And, you know, you, you kind of have expectations of what your career trajectory is going to be over the years. And here I am sitting thinking that I'm going to be the heir apparent to Mika Kiprasov, which, you know, it's, hilarious to laugh about now when I look back on it and think of my mindset, but you know, you're a young guy and you think you're just going to come into professional hockey and you're going to have this huge impact. And, you know, I, I had a steep learning curve, um, not only mentally, but, you know, like I said, there were some technical things that definitely needed to change in my game in order for me to have success on the ice. But I think the, the, the mental side of it, once you have a few injuries and, 
you're forced to take a step back and kind of look at things from a different perspective it uh you know your mindset changes a little bit so you know the injuries as hard as they are to sit through and to watch somebody else kind of go in there and potentially steal your job it's uh they can be a blessing and i i think that was probably the biggest change for me and it allowed me to kind of take that next step in my hockey career and you know here we are and you know i i don't know what the the end of this story is going to look like in a few years or maybe it's four or five years. So, you know, it's, it's tough to plan out. And I think that was a challenging part too, is we have a tendency, we want to map everything out in our mind and, and kind of think that it's going to all play out perfectly, but you know, there, there's bumps along the way. And, you know, I guess it's all about how you handle those and how you come back from. So. It's funny because I don't, every goalie tells you every. I think almost every interview I've done with a goaltender, the idea of one shot, next shot, like a golfer. You know, all that matters is the next shot. Like that's a mentality that a lot of people strive for. It's really easy to say, but man, is it really hard to do sometimes? Yeah, it's 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 challenging, and you know, it's. I, I sit here today, and I know that I have a two-year contract in Tampa, but. You know, I, I can honestly tell you that I've I've been through enough over the years now that the the reality of it is is that it means nothing. You know, there's there's always the possibility of injuries. You you know you you know in the NHL you have to perform on a nightly basis, and if you don't, you're gone. So it's uh you know there's no guarantees, right? Uh, especially when you're kind of uh, you're a backup goalie or you're a young guy trying to break into the league. Okay, and I've taken way too much of your time. I'm looking at the clock, Curtis, but i got to ask you one more. Toronto two years sure. ago, uh, 9.34 save percentage, hell of a year. Played an average, I, we did the math, I think it was in, you averaged 12 games between starts or 12 days between starts. How, how, do you, how do you prepare for that? Like, how hard is that job? I don't think people realize how tough it can be to perform at a high level when you don't play very often. What are the biggest challenges? What would you recommend to other people in terms of, how do sort of how do you embrace that mindset or that that job? Everybody wants to play, but when you don't get to as regularly, how do you play as well as you did? You know, I think the one thing I'll say about the Toronto situation that you know it was a, a high powered offense, and as a goalie, when you play on a high powered offense and you think your team's going to score anywhere from three to five goals a night, it makes your life a lot easier now. The drawback to that is you probably have a tendency to give up a lot of shots, which as we've seen with Freddie Anderson over the last few years, he's he's probably some of the most rubber throughout the league, but you know, it's, it's, it's different. You know, I was Columbus, we played, we played close tight games and you know, that that's a different type of stress. So I think it's one of those things. Toronto was unique in how many goals they could score, which made my life a heck of a lot easier. You know, you would just hang in games and you always knew there was the possibility of a comeback. So, um, but sitting there and kind of watching for weeks on end can have its challenges. When I broke into the league with Calgary, it was every six to eight weeks. And, you know, that just mentally messed me up. And I, I wasn't prepared at that young of an age to take on that role. So, you know, did it pay off later on? Maybe. But it's, you know, it's hard to say. I, I I don't know if there's there's one answer outside of just pure experience and kind of hanging around for as long as I have that's allowed me to be able to do that job well. But, you know, it's 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 got its challenges, you know, and then there's the uncertainty of, 
you know, you never know when an injury is going to come to your number one guy and you've got to step in and play 10 straight games. So you have to, um, you have to make sure you answer. Yeah. I was gonna say, you have to make sure you have energy left for it. Like you can't burn it out in practice because there's always that chance, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, And that all comes back to, you know, your relationship with the coaching staff and, you know, what their expectations are of you. And, you know, I, like I said, as a young guy, I think you want to try really hard and you want to stop every puck in practice. So, you know, the coach takes note of that, but at the end of the day, all he really cares about is that if he has to throw you in on, you know, game three out of four on the weekend or back-to-back games that he's going to get a reliable performance out of you. And I think if you give the team that, that's, that's all they can ask for. I don't, I mean, they want to see that you're doing the extra work and helping the guys out, but the, the reality of it is, it just comes down to results and having success. And, you know, I, it's it's taken me a long time to figure it out. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm lucky that I'm still hanging around right now, but you know, I've got a pretty good hold on it, and I got a good understanding of you know what teams' expectations are. And you know, I think the biggest thing is the backup goalie. And when you transition to different teams, it's you know you kind of take on that chameleon-like appearance where you just you blend into whatever the the culture and the atmosphere of that new organization is going to be. And, you know, you, you just want to have success in your first couple games and make sure that, you know, everybody feels comfortable with you when you're in the net. Was it hard to, after a year like you had in Toronto two years ago to end up on waivers and in Carolina the following season, as well as that ended up, was that tough? And what it's funny. I said to James Reimer, he was our guest last week. Uh, and obviously he's going to Carolina next year. I said, like, you're way too nice a guy to go play for a bunch of jerks. And I would say the same thing of you <laughs> as much as that was just a fun nickname. I was like, you're far too nice a guy to ever be labeled that, even if it is a joke. What was that experience like? Uh, it, the Toronto thing sucked. It really sucked. I mean, Toronto, it's such a special place to play. And, you know, I'd never been on an original six team up to that point and you know prior to getting to toronto i probably would have said that was one of the last places i would have wanted to play just based on you know the expectations and pressure that come with playing in a market like that so you know once i got there and you know you kind of start playing games and you get a feel for what it's all about i mean there's nothing else like it you know i'm sure the guys in all the other original six teams would say the same thing but Toronto's unique and I loved it and yeah it really stung when I had to to move on from the organization but it was a unique situation with Garrett having the amount of success that he'd had in the minor leagues and you know just he wasn't waiver exempt anymore it was it was a tricky spot so did it hurt sure yeah I would have loved to have stayed there but you know it, it it's funny how things work out you get an opportunity in Carolina and you know, you, you look back on your year and you think, man, we just went to the Eastern Conference final. Like that definitely was not on my radar. So like I said, it goes back to you try to map out your life and life throws you curveballs and sometimes it works out for the best. And I can definitely say that about how everything shook out last year with Carolina. Perfect. Hey, listen, Curtis, I can't thank you enough for taking a break in the midst of that summer there, enjoying Colorado, and hopefully uh, didn't interrupt too much of the time on the river or time with kids and time with family. Um, it's sincerely appreciated. Uh, like you said, you never know what 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 what's going to happen in the future, but I know there'll be a lot of people in the goalie union and even more after this that'll just be wishing for more good things for you and a chance to to do what we all dream of before it's all said and done. All right. Thanks, Kevin, for having me. Appreciate it. 
Okay, thanks, Curtis. Appreciate it. Good conversation. Uh, Curtis, uh, very generous with his time and with his information. And uh, that's an incredible combination why you listen to In Goal Radio, the podcast. So uh, we'll start with uh, with really what jumps out at, uh, at you when you listen to this interview, Woody, is uh, just when he said the situation, the experience, the way it ended in Toronto, it just sucked. And uh, just blunt about that and, and how he was surprised at, uh, at the enjoyment of playing for the Maple Leafs and in a pressure pack situation. Yeah, and I guess you, you want guys that do enjoy it, right? That embrace it. And yeah, there's just so many good things out of that interview. He talked about the role and how you have to um, you sort of behave and adapt in that role. I love the stuff he talked uh, about his gear. Like there were so many different aspects of it. And when you listen to it in totality, what you understand is and and he's the first to admit as he does in the interview that you know he wouldn't have been ready for this um necessarily in his 20s but now at the age of 36 with a two-year deal like like he's been there done that in every aspect and he's going to find a way to fit into that room in tampa bay and be a part of that team's success on the ice off the ice whatever it takes um he just he kind of he gets it he knows he knows the gig uh and he knows how to perform whether you need him to play for two weeks or you need him to play once every two weeks. Um, not everyone can do that, and Curtis has shown that he can in the past couple of years for sure. Tell me about the bootstrap and the tweak that he puts or a little spin he puts on that. Yeah, no, and and you know, we saw a little bit of this uh in a post we had uh at In Goal uh social on our social media on, on our Instagram post uh and on our review of the CCM Jet Speed FT to skates because Merrick Mazanik had something similar, not identical or similar, where the bootstrap actually, he runs a leather bootstrap underneath the bottom, sort of right under the arch of his skate as a way to sort of make sure that the the pad doesn't move so much that his knee doesn't hit the middle of the stack. That's the big thing. And Curtis, you know, I got to give credit here. We mentioned in the interview, our, our good friend, the goalie gear nerd on Instagram, who's on top of these things, uh, has a nice photo that I assume was provided by Curtis and a little explanation with quotes uh, about Curtis's setup. And it, it's essentially the same thing, except for the leather strap is actually tied in to the lacing uh, at the bottom or run through the lacing that you see go up the boot channel in the bottom and, and down into the boot in a CCM pad. And the he part run- that rests on the skate. Right. right. And so he runs it through there and then underneath his skate and keeps it tight that way. And again, the idea is he doesn't wear a traditional boot strap. He doesn't have a heel strap. Um, as you told Goalie Gear Nerd, he doesn't have uh, a price strap going around the knee. So he wants to make sure that you know, the knee sort of centers on the knee block, and this is his way of doing it, keeping it attached much like Mazanic down near the bottom of the skate. And there's a great picture if you check out, go go check out Goalie Gear Nerd on Instagram and flow through his account till you see a McElhenney jersey. And there's a great explanation and a great photo of the bottom of the pads on that post. So full credit to him on that one. Then there's the skate and the skate blade. Um, I don't know whether you can make sense of it or whether you can explain it, but I loved hearing Curtis talk about the fact that he almost fell down when he tried it, which is just, it just reinforces that not everything is, is just gold for these guys, that it's so fine tuned or so, some of them are so 
different that even the elite uh, National Hockey League goaltender has trouble embracing it. Well, and he and he's a guy that you know he talked about uh, that old uh, cowling, which is the one he's talking about that Bobrovsky used, and I'd have to check to see if he still uses it. To be honest with you. Um, is the one that we first saw with Jonas Hiller, and it's sort of uh, it was a carbon fiber cowling that was made by a friend of Jonas's who uh, built auto parts for for auto racing, um, and he made them this this custom cowling. I'll be honest, I didn't realize Darren that it was uh, th- that the runner in it, the steel in it, uh, alternated or shifted from from four mil to three mil uh, from t- from sort of toe to heel. I was totally unaware of that. Uh, be honest, it, it's hard for me to think uh, the exact reason uh, that 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 would that you'd want that as a goalie. I guess, especially if you push with the front edge of your skate more, uh, you'd get a you'd be able to obviously a four mil wide steel. You're able to get a deeper cut into it than three mil. It's a little easier to get deeper cut, in, so maybe a little more edge on the toe um, than you need back towards the middle and heel of the skate. Maybe that's the reason. Uh, but just you know, again. I loved where he talked about he'll go into a new room and talk to a guy about his gear and see if there's anything in his setup that he can adopt um, just like the rest of us. He's just a guy that you know loves the gear right back from that first set of orange pads that turned him on to the position, his first set of Heatons. Like, it's not just a passion for you know quote-unquote goalie geekiness. There's performance aspects, right? And tinkering with new things. I loved his thoughts about the chest protector and what a difference that made for right. him after you know working with Bobrovsky and changing his setup there. So um, I guess it's like everything else in the position. There's always new things you can try. There's no absolute one way that everyone has to do it. And so that means there's always guys like Curtis we can talk to and find something new, find something different that we can experiment and try ourselves and say, hey, you know, much like a new technical or a new technique in terms of uh, tactics or technique on the ice, reverse VH, VH, try it. Does it work for us? Do we put it into our game? Try the new gear, try a new setup. Does it work for us? Do we put it into our bag? It's sort of variations on the same theme and it's what makes this position so fascinating to me. Yeah, I'll never forget the Ed Belfort going with the angled sharpening uh, back when he first started with Toronto when <laughs> And and that and how you even come up with that kind of thing, but uh, it's uh, it's the innovators of the game well, and the position. Well, and that's the sharpening, obviously, that Curtis was talking about falling down. That's and, and just for yeah. those who don't know, I guess I didn't explain it very well. But inside edge high, so you sharpen the blade, so um, the inside edge sort of is taller if the blade was upside down on a sharpening machine, but obviously longer into the ice. That's where you get your inside edge. And we've seen goalies like, uh, actually, Mrazek uh, had it. Um, uh, sorry, Merrick Mazanik had it when he was here in Vancouver and talked about that. He joked that he was the one that taught Lundqvist, which, of course, isn't true because Henrik was one of sort of one of the first guys I remember talking about it. Um, there are a handful of goalies that like that. I mean, the reality is they don't feel like they skate on their outside edges. They're constantly pushing off their inside edges, so why not get more bite? I'm with McElhenney. I would. I've tried it once, and it just it was just too weird for me. But yeah, well, there are guys even that like stopping it. a puck uh, behind the net, like that kind of thing. I'd be sliding into the corner. Well, my beer league team doesn't let me go out of my net to play pucks, yeah. anyways, Darren. So maybe I should give it another shot. Maybe that'll keep me yeah, keep play, me in the net where I can make less mistakes. You play with a lot of smart players. <laughs> uh, gear time. Uh, mask is the focus this week. The piece of gear with so many moving parts, Woody. Uh, I mean, it's sexy. It's cool. It's often poor fitting. Uh, it can be undervalued as far as uh, not spending enough to get the proper protection. And uh, as people 
put uh, priority over protection in sense of sexiness. So uh, take us through the mask this week in your gear segment. Well, yeah, and I went into the hockey shop, and of course you can find them at thehockeyshop.com or in person, the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, BC. And I think this week's segment is a great example of why I go to the hockey shop, why I've always gone to the hockey shop. Uh, they're celebrating their 30th anniversary um, this week. Uh, out at the store in Surrey. There's some sales online at thehockeyshop.com affiliated with that. So I've been going ever since I was a goaltender, which is now 12 years, dates back to their old store, uh, not their current location. And the reason you go is not just because of the selection I talk about every week. Uh, It's not just because they have, you know, every piece of new gear and every size available, Uh, You don't have to wait for it to get in. They've got it there. It's not because they have a huge selection of colors. It's not because their stick rack is massive. It's because the guys that are walking you through it understand it. You're going to hear that in this segment. They play the position. They're passionate about the position. They can help you get fitted in gear that will help you play the position better. And when it comes to masks gear that will help you stay safer. And so, uh, you know, I know um, we try a lot of these times in these gear segments, we're focusing largely on new product and trying to introduce new product uh, to our goalies, to goalie parents, to goalie coaches. And certainly there's an aspect of that uh, with the Bauer line. Uh, One of the companies that's using these new advanced impact absorbing foams to try and keep goalies safer. But what I want, where I think people will find value is towards the end of this segment, make sure you listen all the way through. Cam walks us through fit and how they fit it, how they want it to feel on a goalie's head, how they want it to fit. And and that's so hugely important. I, I talk about it dating back to when I first started this like 12, 13 years ago, talking to some of the original mask makers about how the most important part of safety is a good fit. And Cam's going to help you sort of understand what that should feel like, where the pressure points should be when you fit a mask, if you want it to fit properly, if you want it to be safer, along with walking us through the latest and greatest from Bauer, uh, both the enemy lines and the new the new uh, models within that, and then the original profile series. So uh, good stuff from Cam, good reason to go to the hockey shop, uh, and thehockeyshop.com is because they've got guys like him, uh, guys like Jono, all guys that play the position, and they'll help you get it set up in a way that'll help you play the position, not just better, but safer. Kevin and Cam talking buckets at the Hockey Shop. Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop. Source for Sports here in Surrey, British Columbia, out in the suburbs of Vancouver. And of course, you can find them online at thehockeyshop.com. Back in goalie heaven, the basement, the bottom floor, the entire floor dedicated to goaltending, led by our man Cam Matwiv, who is back. He didn't get Wally pipped while he was away getting married. He he retains his spot in the lineup uh, as our gear segment guy. And so congratulations, first off. Thank you How's very much. married life treating you? Uh, it's the same. The same. You're still at work, so... It's a good start. <laughs> There's a honeymoon in the in the future, though. In the future, in the future, yes. Okay, okay. And and you're not gonna make her go to like a bunch of hockey rinks or anything like that. I I tried to lay down the hockey tour trip, like finishing with you know a, a visit to the Hall of Fame, but that didn't go over too well. That's so. not. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. You want to save that for an anniversary, not a honeymoon. Speak, <laughs> speaking from experience. All right, so you're back. Um, we're gonna talk about protecting your head, protecting your brain. We're gonna talk about the Bauer line 
of masks this week. Um, we are in the process of doing a review of our own, starting with the enemy line. Uh, so right now, I'm going to lean on you a little bit more to walk us through both lines, the benefits, the features, uh, and some of the innovation that we've seen from Bauer in terms of using advanced foams to better protect goalies' heads in an era where sensitivity to concussions has never been higher. I'll let you pick. Which line do you want to start with? Which model? So we'll start with the enemy line, and we'll start at the very basis first. So um, the enemy line has uh, three different models. Um, So you'll have your VTX being the top end, the IX being the mid-range, which replaced the enemy eight. And then you also have your enemy four mask being that uh, entry-level mask. So uh, the enemy four, starting out with in particular, um, carried in three sizes, uh, senior, junior, youth. Um, definitely geared to that goalie just starting out, slash uh, beginner goalie all the way up to just about peewee is usually where the level of the mask kind of starts to you know fall back a little bit. Uh, full polycarbonate shell, uh, basically meaning it's a plastic mask. Um, standard VN foam liner, so nothing too exciting about that. Like I said, it's a great, you know, starting point especially gets you on the ice you know it's nothing too too fancy but it's got more than enough protection for those kind of basic hockey levels for sure okay then once we get up into peewee and i mean guys are guys are hitting the puck harder than they ever have before and we're seeing it at an early age bar down and up around the years what's the next step for goalies in the bower line in terms of when they need a little more protection. So this is uh, one of the Bauer's more exciting releases uh, for this year. Um, so this is the new IX helmet, which is now that next step up. Like I said, it's replaced the And again, eight. in the, the yeah. enemy line, enemy yes. IX, and, and just for keep an eye out for some photos and some reviews from us at Ingle in the near future. This is one we're working through right now. A lot of really nice pro features to this mask. Um, they've done a really good job of upgrading it and taking it to another level um, from the Enemy 8, which is already a great full fiberglass molded mask. But now they've really worked on the actual internal foam of the mask in particular. Um, they've switched it to something actually, it's basically the exact same as what's on the Pro Model VTX helmet. Um, you're basically getting all of their um, IX foam technology, they like to call it. Um, almost works on like suspending your head to a bit of a degree to really help absorb that impact. Um, and then the shell, a completely redesigned, they're using what they call their power core shell. So it still is at a basis of fiberglass mold, but um, definitely reinforced and you get that really nice VTX liner with it. Okay, so when you move up from this, you're no longer, obviously, as you said, no longer in a polycarbonate, no longer in a plastic mask. This is a little more traditional in terms of the shell, but with some advanced foams. And this is something we've seen kind of emerge in the mask lines over the past couple of years. Um, there's only so much you can do with a shell. Uh, it's time with, like I said, shots getting harder than ever before uh, to change the foams up uh, for these companies. And it looks like Bauer's done a really nice job here uh, with some foams that are designed to, like you said, it almost feels like it's suspended on your head and it's sort of designed clearly to Im- absorb impact shots and I guess glancing blows from guys coming from the side. Exactly. And one of the, uh, another exciting point to this mask as well is that Bauer actually added another fit. So traditionally it had always been a fit one, two, and three, small, medium, large, but they've added a a fit 0.5 this year. Um, So it's now like an extra small fit, for example. So if you're looking for that kind of next step up, but uh, A, you have a little bit of a smaller head or, you know, especially those younger peewee kids, the parents are looking for better protection. It's the way to go. So they've got a small, so, so you 
you you don't have to stay in the enemy for even if you're a younger kid. There there is a small fit, so some of the younger kids will be able to fit into it. We don't have to worry about adults with small heads in this room. Me and Cam are both have plenty big noggins. Um, egos have been stroked sufficiently hard to get through doors and all that stuff. But for kids, nice to know that they have an option in a in a you know a, a little bit more protective higher end mask. For sure, that point five definitely crosses over between their junior size and their first senior small, which is the fit one. So. Uh, yeah, a great option to get them into a fiberglass mask. Okay, so next model up, sticking with the enemy line, the top end model. This takes you up to the VTX in particular. Um, so this is the mask we saw adopted uh, in the NHL last year. Uh, saw a lot of this sort of uh, in that model. Uh, we saw a lot of sort of that green liner. We see the green liner in the in the IX mask uh, at the NHL level. It was in the in the pro mask. Um, guys like I think Vasilevsky and a handful of other guys switched to this foam. So this this isn't just to protect kids. We're seeing at the NHL level, goalies recognize that these improved foams will keep them better protected. That's correct. That and part of their big adoption. I mean, we're winding back because this is replacing the nine, then the ten replaced it, and now we're on to that VTX model. Uh, Bauer really set out to to a reinforce the chin, which was uh, been a common problem, especially in those older enemy masks where the chin splintered. Um, so one of the nice notes, without getting too far ahead, is that they actually um, added a full layer of uh, stainless steel inside of the chin to help uh, prevent that from chipping. Um, they do call it out. You can kind of see it on the other side of the mask when you look underneath. Um, nice quick feature for the mask. Um, I just thought, saw it as a, a really good improvement and a really good talking point for it. Um, beyond that, we go back um, to the actual uh, foam of the mask. Very, very similar to the IX. Um, slight upgrade just in terms of just a touch more for comfort. Um, and then the shell is where you're going to see the biggest change between that and the IX model in particular. Um, you go to their Techstream shell, um, full-on reinforcement um, with vibration dampening tape all the way throughout as well. Um, chin, forehead, those big common areas. Uh, this basically really gives you that next step up for those really hard slap shots. It's all about absorbing that impact and making sure you're not rattling your brain around. So, uh, so again, we have absorption properties in terms of impact absorption within the liner, within the phones. We see the XRD protection, uh, the, but also within within the shell, you're saying there's some, there's, there's more impact absorption, even in the shell itself with this mask. That's correct. Yeah. You got that 3M tape liner. That's, that's again, that call out to help absorb that uh, impact and vibration. Now, now fit options in this one, one, two, three, one, two, and three. So again, you know, if you're, this is where to me, the biggest improvement has been made. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that not the biggest improvement because clearly there are tech benefits impact absorption benefits. I'm big on the advanced foams and nice to see Bowers gone there uh, in the shell as well. But I think the one thing back to the day where the 960 was sort of the staple, um, the fits were limited, at least at retail. Uh, for the pros, there were more options, but nice to see them broadening the options, the different sizes. We all have different shaped heads. Uh, maybe we'll get it into that with you about how you fit a mask, how you ideally want it to fit. But with so many options here in Bauer, you're going to be able to find one that fits your head. That's a really nice feature, in my opinion, to have all those different fit ranges in this enemy line. They continue on the other line as well? Uh, that's correct. But before we do jump there, that's one thing definitely want to stress. In particular, you brought it up about fitting. Yeah, this mask has to fit to be able to protect bottom line it can give you the best mask in the world if it doesn't fit properly you're still going to get injured um this is one of those things if you do have the opportunity whether it be our store or wherever else you do do your shopping make sure someone fits you up properly just okay care. well i tell you what that it's great advice and and it's something that we've talked about like i mean 
ever since I've been in this game uh, on the media side, talked to a lot of not just NHL guys, but a lot of the old school mask makers, um, guys who were building these masks, guys who were hand laying stuff. I mean, fit is crucial. They all agreed that that was a key component. We're going to get you at the end of this to walk us through the proper way to fit a mask. But first, let's go through the other the other Bauer line for this season. So on to uh, the Profile Series mask, which is ran now for three, four years now. Um, this replaced their older Profile lineup um, in particular. So they do have a couple more fit options and whatnot, but uh, starting at the very basis model, the 940X in particular, it's a full polycarbonate shell, again, a plastic molded mask. Right. Um, slightly upgraded foam liner in comparison to the Enemy 4 Series, just create a little bit of a separation in particular, um, but definitely uh, gives you that start out of that look and that profile series if you're looking for that you know again that young goal they're just starting out or super recreational ball hockey roller hockey and a little bit of ice hockey for that adult guy uh, available in two fits just senior and junior kind of keeps things simple and then your next step up takes you up to the xpm9 or x950 950x there we go tongue twister for you today um once you jump up to the 950X, you're getting a full fiberglass uh, 12K outer layer uh, shell. Uh, basically, a nice, hard, thick, um, protective helmet. Traditional exactly. style shell. Exactly. You, we will get into the foam liner here in a second, but basis of both the 960 and the 950 shells are pretty much the same. Um, I'll go into what's different about the 960 in a second here. Um, but one of the biggest upgrades now that you get between that and the 940 beyond the fiberglass shell is the actual foam liner itself. Um, you start to see their pour-on soft foam liner all the way throughout the mask. So what happens is upon impact, that pour-on foam again rigids up um, and helps to absorb that impact that you're getting you know, hit in the face with. Pucks, sticks, players. We all have that guy in warm-up that thinks he's got to go bar down, buzz the tower, you know, three shots into your warm-up routine. This will help with that. <laughs> buzz the tower. We're, we're not going to name names. We're not going to name names. Uh, we're not going to name names. I promised I wouldn't have called them out enough on my beer league team. Um, so so that's going to help with that. Uh, moving up, same liner in the 960? That's correct. But uh, before we do leave that, two fit options in the 950. you got okay. your small, medium, and medium, large. I will say through our travels, especially at the shop here, fitting guys up, the majority of the population does fit that smaller of the two okay. um even including myself um, oh, oh hold on you fit it wow like you fit a small medium even after all these segments even after it's got a little tighter but you know okay i thought the head had maybe gotten a little too big for a small medium that's good to hear <laughs> and then jumping up to the 960 which takes you on to their uh, pro version of their other line for example um Major, major differences uh, between the one really involves um, just more reinforcement at the actual shell. Um, so what you're getting, again, is at a Negra liner um, in the chin and in the forehead in particular. Uh, it's being stretched out around the crown of the helmet. Uh, what that will do, again, those are those high impact areas that will help to reduce um, that overall vibration throughout the helmet. Okay, and now this foam, the one thing we'll say that we, we've had a little bit, not issues, but the one thing to be conscious of, uh, in the profile line with the foams compared to the new liners uh, in the enemy line. A little more water absorption. You want to want to make sure you give it some time to dry out between sessions. Uh, it just feels like the foam soaks up a little bit of that water, um, maybe more so uh, than past foams, and yet worth it because of the protection element. I mean, the reality is, and we've talked about it, I'm huge on this. It's nice to see NHL goalies adopting this after years of sort of 
being stubborn about masks and not wanting to change the fit and feel of their mask, there's no question that these foams, I mean, we've seen the science on it. They absorb impact. They're going to protect your head better than a traditional foam. For sure. I mean, XPM, you know, the 960 in particular, it really speaks for itself. Like it's one of those masks that you can commonly see almost any level of hockey. You kind of walk around, especially anywhere on the junior race, you're going to see, you know, majority of goalies wearing this. Pretty sure our own in-goal tester, Matty, has a XPM 960 on his head right now. Yeah, we just got to get him looking through the right holes now. That's a work in progress. Um, now, uh, last but not least, I do want to talk about fitting. Yes. And we're going to do this every time we talk about a mask, whether it d- d- doesn't matter what brand. Um, how do you properly fit a goal mask when someone comes into the store and... One thing I want to ask about too, because there's a little bit of difference in weights between some of these models and some of these lines. People tend to grab it off the shelf, hold it in their hand by the front of the cage and say, oh, this one's heavier or this one's lighter. And they make decisions based on which one's lighter. The reality is, and this goes way back to conversations with like Eddie Schultz of, of Eddie masks back in the day, a good balanced mask, What you once you put it on your head, you're not going to feel that like you would holding it out in front of you um, you know, holding it by the cage. The, the concept here is it's balanced around your head and that weight is sort of evenly distributed. So is that a bad way for starters to sort of judge a mask is just picking it off the wall and saying this one's too heavy, this one's too light? A hundred percent. You know, I almost rewind this back. Like this is, it, I'd almost approach a mask fitting the same way as I approach skate fit. Okay. Every, every foot's different. Every head's different. Um, everybody's specific needs are different. The mask, like once again, regardless of all the technology in the world, it, it really has to be a nice snug fit. Um, I got a basis, what I'm looking for, uh, crown contact all the way around the forehead it should be snug. I shouldn't be able to slip any pinkies because that would mean pressure points inside the mask, anything like that. So no fingers in between the sweatband and the actual forehead itself. So right across the front of the forehead, above the eyebrows, you want that to sort of wrap and fit snug across. That's correct. You uh, don't want gaps in there. No, no. Cause then again, that gap can mean a potential pressure point in particular. Um, and then moving on down. So should... you, hold on. Sorry. Just to clarify. So that gap means there's a pressure point somewhere else. You want a consistent pressure right across the forehead. Yeah, exactly. So, that, so when you do get that impact, it's completely dissipated throughout the skull, for example, as opposed to having, you know, say I could slip my pinky in the middle of your forehead. Now, I mean, there's two pressure points on the side of your forehead. That's where the impact will be centered into those two pressure points rather than being fully dissipated around. Nice. Um, Moving on down, uh, snug all the way up through the cheeks. It shouldn't be bunching and pushing up, but it should be enough that you can actually see just a little bit of pressure on the side of your cheeks. That means the mask is fitting you snug and it won't twist when you get hit, for example. A lot of goalies you see will wear the mask too loose and you can see them face move inside the mask and then the helmet moves. That's wrong. <laughs> not, not ideal from a vision standpoint. <laughs> no, well, that's you. You're not only trying impact, to look through yeah. the side of the mask, but yeah, it is an impact standpoint, not too good either. <laughs> One of the other things we see quite often too is um, how should, how should, a backplate fit cam I, like if it's sticking out too far does that mean the mask is too small is that a component you guys consider when measuring that that's correct yeah a volume of the head in particular that's where that kind of comes into play um the back if the back plate's shooting out past the back of the helmet and you can actually like slip your pinkies and you know full fingers in behind your head and the actual back plate your mask isn't fitting properly um, if it's nice and snug and you know, you're just up to that edge, but you can still make sure that there's no exposed hair or anything like that. You still have an okay fitting mask. Ideally probably something a little bit better volume, but that's a workable fit. Anything past that. once again, like you, you can get sticks back there, you know, 
crossbar, heaven forbid, like you're just opening yourself up to it's a recipe for disaster. The potential. Yeah, yeah. The exactly. potential for problems. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So there's mask fitting from Cam Matwiv. There's the Bauer lines, the enemy line, the profile line, um, the improvements in both, the differences in both. You can get more information. Uh, if you come in here in person, the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, uh, they're in Surrey, just in the suburbs of Vancouver. You can find them online at thehockeyshop.com. Or if you've got some direct questions you want to ask Cam about the way your mask is fitting personally, you can give them a shout here. Like I mentioned, whether it's Cam answering the phone uh, or Jono, who joined us last week to help with the segment while Cam was away doing some getting married or some silly thing like that uh, or any of the other guys they all know the position they all play the position they all know how to answer your questions like you can get a hold of them at 604-589-8299 that's uh, good to know that marriage hasn't cost you your little berry white radio voice cam thanks for joining us thanks for coming back in one piece um until next week we're signing off from the hockey shop and the hockey shop.com thanks Kip. The mask. I, I could spend segment after segment, like every week for a couple of months, listening to you guys talk about masks. And, and foam has become such an important part. It used to be all about the plastic and the uh, angles of the mask, and now it's really transformed into the, uh, into the foam. And, and being diligent, people, on replacing your foam when, when it uh, gets to a certain level, right? Yeah, and we talk about that too. That's the other thing. Like There are some good companies out there that uh, can replace and refurbish masks with traditional yeah. foams. I think a new image, they do a really nice job and have done some work for us. Uh, I actually have a story on their process coming up in the next couple of weeks. They did some masks for uh, Edmonton Oilers goalie coach Dustin Schwartz. It just turned out gorgeous. Um, good. But at the end of the day, th- this is where it's trending. You know, some of these advanced foams, uh, for lack of a better term, impact absorbing sort of modern foams that are different from the traditional liners. You know, it's hard to argue they don't absorb more impact. And and that's the one thing you get in a new mask that you're not going to get by refurbishing an old mask. You're going to get access to some of these new technologies. Um, and, you know, we've got a new Bauer mask that we're just going to start a testing process with. Uh, I've seen the impact of D3O on the CCM lines uh, in the forehead and, and sort of around the front of, of, the, of sort of just around the eyes and sort of into the chin or sort of the cheeks. Um, it definitely has an impact on impact. And so as more companies switch that, it's not to say the other foams can't be safe, but it, it's, it's kind of like, why wouldn't you have that extra layer of protection well, now that it's available? And it's not just pucks that you're worried about. It's the the impact in a net collision, uh, teammate falling over you. It's it, that is almost half the battle right there when it comes to goalie injuries and concussions. Yeah, and and, and where that gets into is you're talking now about you know, masks are designed to stop pucks, to deflect pucks, to yeah. not absorb the impact directly. And a lot of the injuries we talk about are about guys coming through the crease with elbows up and catching you in the chin, and and they get they all get sort of described as concussions i think some of them are probably neck injuries that create a lot of the same symptoms i've had some experience with that myself uh we talked uh with with uh stefan sigalette uh when he was at attendee fest about you know some of the differences there and some of the treatment that you can get there some of the treatment that's helped me out uh you will see some masks coming out and, and we talk about with the bower line a little bit you know again um some things in masks that are designed to do both uh, there's some exciting things I know about. I can't say yet because I've signed an NDA, but there's some exciting stuff coming out in 2020 
um, directly related to that, that that I've seen some NHL goalies wear and speak positively on so far. Uh, so, so equipment companies, they're doing the research. They're working with some of the same universities that work with NFL teams uh, in terms of football and the way they construct their helmets. And they're looking at ways that they can do more than just save us from puck impact, that they can actually you know, help us with some of that directional, you know, uh, you know, across the chin, across, across the side of the head impact from players coming in. It's never going to be perfect. Uh, but to me, anything they do that tries to make us safer in the crease, all for it on this end. Well, hockeyshop.com, great uh, place for accessories. And uh, Curtis McElhaney actually wore uh, mask skin for most of last season, that new product for dressing up uh, masks when he joined the Carolina Hurricanes and stuck with it, uh, I think, a lot longer than than uh, a lot of us expected. Uh, David Hutchison, be remiss to mention that he's on assignment for us in Edmonton right now, uh, doing a lot of work uh, with uh, Eli Wilson and uh, and uh, catching up with a couple of uh, people that he'll bring some interviews for us in the next uh few episodes. So that's where Hutch is, and you will be uh, heading back to the BC interior to Kelowna in uh, the next little while. Yeah, short trip. Unfortunately, got a little conflict with a family vacation, so I won't be taking part in the whole week like I normally do, but up for Net360 Camp, which is put on by the Alpha Hockey Agency, Ray Petkow, a player agent, and Adam Francilia, the trainer we mentioned, actually with working with Mike Condon now. Uh, on the off-ice side up there is the partner in that camp. Um, I, lo- I just love this camp. Uh, NHL guys, we're going to have an opportunity. If you've got questions, you can submit questions uh, to podcasts at ingoalmag.com. Uh, for Connor Hellebuck, hopefully we'll be able to catch him up to him or up with him in the couple days I'm up there. Devin Dubnik. We've already got Reimer and Comrie who are up there. Uh, I'm hoping to see Mike Conan if he's up to it on the ice for a little bit up there. Uh, just uh, it's just Troy Grosnick. It's just a great camp. Multiple voices. These guys, a lot of them are just getting their feet under them. Not all of them have been on the ice a whole bunch. Varying levels there, but four different coaches, four different stations. Francilia working on the ice with goalies uh, on on sort of physical training drills. It's a great dynamic. Excellent shooters every year. Guys like Justin Schultz, Andrew Ladd. Tyler Myers, and my understanding is we could have a Blake Wheeler sighting up there this summer in terms of the shooter. So that'll be a fun couple days for me, and I hope to bank some more material that I can bring back to our listeners for uh, the Ingle Radio podcast in the month of August. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, if you've got a question for an NHL goaltender, uh, we can get really specific uh, when it comes to those situations. So send us your your questions, your comments. Uh, we love to your uh, listener feedback as well. Nice job today. You were busy. It was it was a fun day. Hey, I got to go out and see Cam again. Now that he's married, I'm happy to say he hasn't changed one bit. Still took time to to record the segment with me. And any day I get to go to the hockey shop, it may be a busy day, but it's not a bad day. And a beautiful interview with uh, Curtis McElhaney. We wish Curtis the best of luck. He is a goalie. He loves the gear. But what's the secret to success? Maturity and believing in himself. And that's really what's come together for Curtis McElhaney. One takes time, the maturity part. It requires experience. The other is purely on you. It's not easy. There's a fine line to uh, appearing arrogant. You don't want to be looked at as cocky. But discover that middle ground and confidence can be a major boost to work in conjunction with skill and preparation. For Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison, I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening. If you want more, check out ingoalmag.com and be sure to log on to thehockeyshop.com for the best selection, service, and goaltending expertise in the equipment buying industry. Thanks for listening, everyone.